Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bannon. You're listening to the Daily Halacha, Kabbalah, and Machshava podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, last couple days, we unfortunately uh, were unable to have this series. I got a little sick, and as you could probably tell, it impacted my voice, and so it was not super easy to make episodes for the series, but we are back. So this is episode number, I think we're at 54 now of the series. And uh, again, if you are interested in supporting what we're trying to create here, obviously this this series is all a... It's, it's a, an overview of all the halachos. Uh, we're trying to really just cover as much halacha as possible and show you all the deep things that are underneath each halacha, all the layers uh, of, of intangible aspects of who we are that the halacha is trying to express. And if you want to learn more about all of that and see it more in depth, head over to yesodblocks.com where you can subscribe and get access to a ton of other content in addition to also your subscription supporting the creation of more and more and more content of this kind so we can really spread this Torah into the world and help people to really see that Hashem is right here, right in front of us, right within us, and all around us, and in a way that's actually, uh, I want to say tangible, but it's not really the right word, but kind of tangible. So that's uh, that's what we're trying to do here, in case you uh, are just tuning in now. So in this particular episode, up to Siman Nun Aleph, we started the Siman in the last episode, uh, before the sick days break that just took place, and it's the beginning of the discussion of Psuke de Zimra, which is this section of the tefillah structure that we say every day in the morning, and it's this, it's section number two. Section number one was correlating to the uh, practical things that we do every day, which was Birch Sashachar, and then the Korbanot were kind of part of that, and now we're entering into the next phase, which is the emotional aspect, the area of convictions, and so what the, we're going to learn more about what I mean by that when I say that, because emotions and convictions are kind of synonymous in Torah thought, and you can think of emotions as the expression of what you actually think, what you actually, how you actually see things. Oftentimes we have this issue where we think things in the thought area of our mind, which is the next level up above the emotional state. It's analogous, correlating to uh, the brachos of kriyashma, which is the next part of tefillah. Um, but the we oftentimes we we tend to think that what we think is what we think. That's how we usually think of our of our th- of our thought space. But actually, we can think thoughts in the area of our thought space in the world of bina, and actually not really see things that way. Not really think. Not really see things the way that we think. And what I mean by that is that our perceptions that are underneath the things that we think oftentimes. Uh, are much more deeply embedded than just the thoughts that we have. So this is exactly the same idea as uh, when we discuss trying to internalize something that we think. In other words, you can think thoughts like, oh, that's really unhealthy, or I should really not eat that, or you know things like that. And even if we think those thoughts, it doesn't mean that we actually see things the way that we think. And internalizing means that now you actually see it the way that you think it. And so our emotions actually give us a lot of insight or even potentially complete insight into how we really see things even uh, uh, beyond how we think because our emotions express how we feel and how we feel is a direct function of how we see things and there's a lot of a lot of layers to that but just to give a quick example uh, if you see your house burning down so there are two ways you could perceive that and if you have a, an insurance policy and you were just planning on moving out of that house in the next month or two so then having your house burn down and you just getting the insurance policy that, that covers it would probably be a big positive for you It'd make things a lot easier in terms of selling the house dealing with the situation you now got the money up front there are a lot of you know that's an example of a situation where the way that you perceive the the event of your house burning down would be you perceive it in a positive light and you'd have positive emotions 
as opposed to in a situation where you need that house or you don't have house insurance for some reason, uh, and then it would be a massive, massive uh, damage, obviously, and you'd perceive it very negatively. And so your perception actually defines how you feel. And perception also oftentimes will lead to how we think, but we actually have the ability to override our perceptions and try on thoughts that don't actually fit the way that we see things. Uh, so that's, a, that's, that's, that's what makes thought sometimes, it makes it a very powerful tool, but also a little bit dangerous uh, because you can actually think things that you don't see and then you can develop thought structures that actually contradict yourself or other thought structures that you have inside your mind and that can cause some serious problems. Uh, so, But the point here is that the area of emotion and the area of conviction is synonymous because the things that we actually genuinely feel are a reflection of how we genuinely see things very deep inside. And so this layer of uh, Psuketa Zimra is analogous to that area of emotion, that area of genuine conviction, what you genuinely think or what you genuinely feel uh, about existence as a function of how you see existence. And so we're going to see why that why that matters as we go deeper into the halachos of Psuketa Zimra. And in this particular episode, so this particular halacha is a halacha based, the second halacha in Siman Aleph, which is uh, section 51, and it says, uh, If you finish the bracha of Baruch She'amar before the Chazan finishes it, then you're supposed to answer Amen after the Chazan says the bracha. So how, how does Baruch She'amar work? We described in the previous episode, it's a relatively long bracha. And we described already in earlier episodes as well, a bracha is basically a, a short uh, statement that you make that's designed to increase your awareness of Hashem's presence in the context of a particular area. And so this particular one, this bracha, Baruch Shamar, is the pr- the precursor bracha to all of the paragraphs of Psukei Zimra. Psukei Zimra is basically filled with paragraphs from Tehillim and a collection of Psukim from the Tanakh. And what we're trying to do is they're reflective of, of, of Hashem's um, presence and how he kind of does things in, in, in the process of creation of nature, and we're going to sort of see more parts of that as we get further into the halachos here, but the point is right now that this Baruch Amar Bracha is basically trying to connect the saying of these different verses to Hashem, so we can actually uh, see Hashem in light of the words that we are saying, which in general, that's the way the Sidur works, um, and if you recall, tefillah is this process, uh, not prayer, tefillah is a process of alignment, and what that means is that the things that uh, you say are supposed to create a cascade of thoughts and perception developments inside yourself that are in, that are more in harmony with who you are and deep inside who you actually are as you're an aspect of Hashem. And so that means the root of yourself is Hashem's self and the things that Hashem wants at that level are what you actually want. But we, can, as I said earlier, we can develop thoughts and even perceptions that contradict reality. And then we can actually want things that we don't want and we can try to get things that we don't need uh, or that are, that are not really, I shouldn't say that we don't need, but that we don't want. Um, and so that's uh, that's the, the living contradiction that we often encounter in our lives. So this um, this bracha is supposed to connect the the awareness of Hashem to the words that are in this section of Psukei Zimra because the Sidur is the is kind of like the it's the tool that we use it's, it's a word based tool to create this cascade of thoughts and perceptions uh, in the world of a, in, the, in our internal world to create alignment with Hashem and so the reason I'm mentioning that is because alignment with Hashem is actually experiential, and uh, it's something which you can do even without words to, to a very large degree, but the Sidur is basically supposed to help us do that. So that's why you'll find that 
the the structure of the Sidur, since it is inherently word-based, so it's all about words. So here we have this bracha, brach shamar, which is designed to trigger awareness of Hashem while saying these words. And for many of us, unfortunately, this Sidur becomes something which we just say by rote, in which case the words don't trigger those reactions. And we're going to learn more about the words and how to get them to activate uh, those types of reactions in general. But uh, there's a whole series about this on anyasoblocks.com called Tefillah Beginnings. And uh, we're going to be actually doing another special series about Psukit Zimmer pretty soon and another series of other parts of Tefillah because the goal would be to actually rewire our minds so that the words that we say really create those cascades of thoughts and associations, the cascades that you have, by the way, in general, with anything else. In other words, generally speaking, if as I'm speaking, your mind is creating uh, meaning out of the sentences that I'm saying and creating all kinds of associative thoughts. That's how our minds work. It's only when we are reading something out of habituation by rote that our minds don't do that, and that's obviously kind of tragic uh, because here the tools are very powerful. We just don't really have enough access to what the words mean in a way that really creates that kind of associative uh, thought cascade. So... That's the bracha here, and we're saying that bracha, and then what the halacha here is saying is that if you finish saying the bracha before the chazan, the chazan is the person who leads the tefillah, um, so that's usually, it uh, just kind of seems like a very obvious, you know, for those who already know about how tefillah works in a synagogue, then you already know that a chazan is that, but the word chazan comes from the word chazon, because the chazan, which literally chazon means vision, he's the visionary, he's the one who's supposed to be, the way, that, the way that tefillah is supposed to work in a group is that everybody is a visionary, everyone is trying to see the big truth of reality, the huge picture that we laid out in the Kabbalah Basics series in Anya Soul Blocks, which is essentially to sort of see the edge of, of time and space, to see the edge of your own self and to understand the larger truth of existence and have a picture of that kind of going on in the background in your mind. And so the Chazan is the one who leads that because he is the, he's supposed to be a super visionary. When we get to the Halachos of a Chazan, then we'll see like what kind of person that's supposed to be. Unfortunately today, uh, it's not super common that people who are in Shul in, in the Beit HaKnesset in the synagogue are actually living in that moment in a visionary state. And so it ends up just being a lot of people just saying things by rote and kind of it's more of a social thing where we all get together and just sort of feel like we're around other people who we know. And that's that's kind of like the, the basic fundamental uh, association that people have with Shul. And that's a little unfortunate because it's really uh, it's like one percent of what what the Shul really could be and really should be. Um, so, but be that as it may, so that's what the chazan is from the word chazon. He's supposed to be the visionary leader. And so if he's, when, if he says that he's saying the bracha also, and if he finishes ahead of you, then you would answer amen. And amen is this funny word that, uh, it's very, super common. Amen is how it's <laughs> said in English. And, uh, it's a, the irony of it is that amen is not really, you know, it's just an, uh, it's just a translation, I guess, or transliteration, but the word amen actually has a meaning and its usage also has a meaning. Uh, and has a has a person has a purpose, and so just to explain that just for a second, exactly why this matters and what saying a main really is. And so, in order to do that, we just need to know what, like, just to look at the word root for a second. And uh, there's actually a, a video about this too on my YouTube channel, which you can check out about the word emuna. The word emuna is often translated as faith, which is a very very uh, I think poor translation. A better translation is close to that though, which is the word faithful. Uh, the word emuna comes from the language of loyalty. In other words, just as an example, when it says in uh, in the Megillah, in the Megillah Sester, uh, which is uh, the just just the story of of Purim essentially. So there's a line there where it says uh, that Mordechai is omen et hadasa. By he omen et hadasa, he Esther bat dodo. His language says that Mordechai is omen hadasa, who is Esther. Uh, and when and to be omen her really it's usually translated means he's he's raising her he's like the one who's raising her uh, as a child 
And the, but the language of omen, what it really means when you raise a child is you are essentially installing in them uh, sets of ideas, values, perspectives, experiences that they will remain loyal to as they get older because the things that we experience as in our childhood when our emotional uh, capacity is far more prominently featured than our intellectual, than our, than our, our bina side of ourselves is that things kind of go straight into the emotional conviction area. And so things that you learn when you are a child, they become embedded in the in yourself in a way that is that is much more uh, that is with much more certainty, which is why we have a much harder time breaking childhood habits, because we're really sure that, that is how the world works. So when you're omain somebody, you're essentially installing into them perspectives that they will now be loyal to for the rest of their lives to a great degree. Um, similarly, uh, if you are ne'eman, it means you are someone who is reliable, someone that we can rely on. So to, to be amin is to be essentially means to say to be loyal. These are these are the same ideas. Um, if you are an, uh, if you are a craftsman, an uman, that means that you are somebody who is uh, you're an artist, uh, a, some kind of a creator. So what's happening is you basically have some kind of inner vision of what you want things to be like, and then you make that on the outside in the outside world. You express that in some form. You actually build the thing that you're envisioning, and so that's loyal to the to the vision that you had. That what you're doing on the outside is loyal to that which you to the vision you have on the inside. And so that's what the concept of emuna is. It basically means loyalty to an inner vision of some kind, whether it's what you learned when you were a child, whether it's uh, your, it could be that you're, that you have, you're, you're having emunah to, to another person who might not be present when you, you know, when if we're in a relationship and we're remaining loyal to our partner, they are not present right now. We're still behaving as if they are. We are loyal to the vision of their presence, even if they are not there in the moment. So that is what emunah is. And so that's really faithful, not faith. And faith is often thought of as like, well, I believe in something which I can't see. And that's really kind of taking a very complex concept. Think about what I just said, the example of, of a significant other that is not present right now. So they're invisible. They're not here right now, but you have faith that they still exist. That's not really what we're saying. We're not saying that you have faith that they still exist. We're saying you are faithful to them even in their absence. And even though right now they seem invisible, they're not present, but you live as if they are present and you are loyal to them as if they are still here. And so that is what emunah means also with Hashem. We don't have this idea of emunah that we believe in something that is invisible. That's not what we're saying. And that's uh, often just kind of like a theological issue that's raised as well. Believing in God, we can't see God. The Torah does not have this idea of having faith in something which we cannot prove or something which is invisible. There is no idea like that in Torah thought. Uh, we have a very clear map of who Hashem is and how you can see that. And it's not something which is just like this invisible creature that you have to just believe in. And you can you can never prove it or anything like that. There's, much, there's a lot to say about how to actually prove that, there, that Hashem is reality, um, but it's not the same thing as proving there's an invisible man in the sky or something like that. We don't have invisible men in the sky. And so the concept here is about being loyal to that which is not currently present, because Hashem's presence right now is very distorted and blocked out because of a series of problems that exist in the world, which is the problem of Das Tovara and certain further accumulations of Das Tovara into certain forms. And that has then led to uh, major distortions of Hashem's presence. And so that's really what we're saying now. Emunah nowadays and for the last few thousand years has basically, you know, since, since I would say, uh, since the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, we'll say, Emunah has basically meant that our beloved is not currently here and Hashem is in a certain way has died. Uh, which is what Tisha B'Av is all about. In other words, Hashem's body that, that is the transmitter of Hashem's presence in the world that was the Beis HaMikdash as the temporary um, uh, transmitter, tra temporary conduit for Hashem's presence in the world. It was supposed to be us. Each of us was supposed to be a, a conduit for that. 
Um, and unfortunately, in the story of Parshas Yisro, the story of Harsinai, we failed to live up to that. Only Moshe was able to really be the full-on conduit for Hashem's presence, and the rest of the Chumash is us trying to get as close to that as possible, and then failing, and then basically trying to finish the Chumash. It still hasn't, the story still has not finished, uh, which is supposed to conclude with all of us becoming conduits for Hashem's presence, just like Moshe. So... Uh, the base of Mikdash being destroyed was a big step backwards because it was the temporary conduit for Hashem's presence until we were able to fully take that on, uh, each of us on the individual level. So when it was destroyed, then the conduit was lost. And so that's the same thing as death because death just means the body turns off and then the self that is being channeled into the world through that body, through that antenna, uh, is now no longer able to be accessed in the same way. And so that's what we call death. Uh, a lot more to say about that, obviously, but that's really not for this episode. So the point here is that we are loyal to Hashem even in His absence, even when Hashem's presence is currently blocked out to some degree, just like we're loyal to someone that we love who is currently not here. Uh, that is what is that is the, the meaning of the concept of emunah. So when you say amen, what you are saying is basically, think about what's happening here, right? Someone is saying Baruch Shemar, the Chazan, and then you're listening to that bracha, or anybody's saying a bracha, really. And so they're making a statement about Hashem's presence, and they're trying to connect it to some aspect uh, of life. And then after they finish saying it, you say amen. So when you say amen to that, what you're doing is essentially the same thing as the example we gave with Mordechai and Esther. You are installing that perspective, whatever that bracha is, the connect, in this particular example, connecting Hashem's presence to the saying of these different parts of Tanakh, of Tehillim, that are in Pesuket Zimra. What you're doing is you're basically trying to um, you're trying to connect your awareness of Hashem's presence to these actual words. So when you then say Amen to that statement by somebody else, what the word Amen means is uh, you're saying, I'm, lo- I'm, I'm loyal, loyalifying myself to that. I'm basically, I am affirming that. And that's really why probably the best translation for the word Amen is to affirm, is that we're saying, I affirm this statement, I, I, am behind, I, I get behind this, I affirm this, I support this. And you say that because you're trying to install that idea into yourself uh, in a way that uh, is exactly similar and analogous to the example of Mordechai and Esther, that you're basically trying to be omen yourself. You are listening to the words the other person is saying, uh, and then when you hear those words, it's as if you yourself said them. In other words, if I say the bracha myself, so then obviously I'm trying to deepen my awareness of Hashem's presence in the context of the bracha's uh, topical content. and then if you hear somebody else say the bracha and you say amen, you're saying, I'm trying to install into myself that exact same uh, connection of Hashem's presence to the topic of the bracha as well. And so I'm trying to install that into my into my, into my myself, into my perception, uh, into my thinking, into my way of being, in a way that now becomes fused with who I am. So that is what the concept of amen is, and that's what we're saying here uh, in this particular halacha, is saying amen after Baruch Shemar, that's how that would work. So I hope that was clarifying and useful, and we're going to see this amen topic come up more as we see in other contexts, but the basic overview is this. So I hope that was, uh, you know, I think for a lot of us, amen is kind of this this thing that's just there, it's just in the background, we just always say it, no one really knows why, but uh, with all this, hopefully that really helps to bring that alive, and uh, it makes it much more useful and effective when you're using the amen tool. Thanks again for joining, listening in, and see you in the next episode.